Hello, and welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to our next episode of Arbitral Insights. My name is Alison Eslick. I'm a senior associate in Reed Smith's Dubai office. I sit in the Energy and Natural Resources Group, and my primary practice is international arbitration. Today, we're going to talk about the five types of arbitrators and how to select the right one for your case. So one of the features that distinguishes arbitration from litigation is the party's ability to choose their own tribunal. Of course, that is an important choice because the tribunal will decide the fate of the party's claims in a binding arbitration award. As a general rule, there will be either one or three arbitrators, and their mode of appointment will depend on what the parties have agreed in the terms of their arbitration agreement. So most often, parties will have opted for a set of institutional rules to govern their arbitration such as the ICC, LCIA, SEAC, or DEAC rules, to name a few examples. Such institutional rules will generally stipulate that, in the case of a sole arbitrator, the parties can agree on him or her, failing which the arbitrator shall be appointed by the relevant institution. Now, in the case of three arbitrators, each party can nominate an arbitrator, while the third is chosen by the institution, unless the parties have agreed otherwise. In a world where arbitration is becoming increasingly popular, specialised and important to business, there are now more arbitrators to choose from than ever before. Selecting the right one is critical to ensure that proceedings run smoothly and efficiently and that a fair and well-reasoned outcome is reached. So where does a party start looking when they have the choice to nominate an arbitrator? There are perhaps three threshold points to consider. First, it really goes without saying that arbitrators must be independent and impartial, that is, free from conflicts of interest with either party or their representatives, or with entities concerning the dispute. Therefore, whilst you may have the perfect candidate in mind, it is always prudent to reach out to the arbitrator candidate in advance and clear conflicts before moving forward. Second, parties should scrutinise the terms of their arbitration agreement. Where parties have turned their minds to the issue in advance, they may have prescribed that an arbitrator have a particular qualification or skill set, for example, at least 10 years' experience as a lawyer. And in rarer cases, parties may even have identified a particular person to act as the arbitrator. Parties might also have agreed for the arbitration proceedings to be conducted in a particular language. And so an arbitrator will naturally need to be fluent in such language to be an effective choice. These pre-agreed criteria will form the boundaries for the choice of arbitrator, unless for any reason the parties are able to subsequently agree otherwise. Third, the choice of an arbitrator will be heavily influenced by the nature of the specific dispute in question. Parties should consider the substantive law of the contract, as well as the seat of arbitration, which will determine the procedural law for the case and various other factors, including an arbitrator's familiarity with the place or region where the underlying transaction or project has taken place. 
These matters are beyond the scope of this brief podcast and could certainly be the subject of their own separate analysis. But to give a flavour, a common law trained arbitrator may not be suitable to determine a dispute arising under a civil law contract, or an English qualified lawyer might not be suitable for a dispute arising under French law. Indeed, the situation is often more complex in international arbitration, where the substantive law of the contract may well be different to the procedural law. For example, a contract governed by Qatari law with an arbitration seated in Geneva. For this reason, choosing the right mix of arbitrators in a three-person panel will be very important. So taking a step back, it can sometimes be a daunting task to nominate an arbitrator, and the process tends to be more of an art than a science. When considering the playing field, it can help to understand that there are different types of arbitrators, and each has pros and cons. Now, in reality, there are many types and subtypes of arbitrators, but to help break things down, we have identified five types of arbitrators you might come across in your travels. So let's discuss them. Type number one, the professional arbitrator. Often an arbitrator is someone who combines the role of arbitrating with another legal activity, such as being a lawyer or a barrister, a university law professor, or sometimes other professions such as engineering or accounting. However, with the growth of arbitration in more recent times, we have seen the emergence of the professional arbitrator. This is a person who has actively made a career change from law or another industry to specialise as an arbitrator full-time, or who at least dedicates a significant portion of their time to sitting as an arbitrator. The professional arbitrator is often an incredibly experienced arbitrator and can make a great choice for large and complex cases, particularly those that are procedurally tricky. The professional arbitrator makes a particularly good chairperson because they can shepherd a more diverse panel of industry specialists, non-lawyer arbitrators, or even less experienced arbitrators. Of course, there are some drawbacks. Professional arbitrators may decline to take smaller or less complex cases, and since they're in high demand, they may simply be unavailable. Their busy schedules can also have an impact on parties' ability to secure these arbitrators for a hearing, which will often need to be booked in the diary many months in advance. Of course, professional arbitrators are professionals, and they should not ordinarily bite off more than they can chew. However, occasionally we have experienced those who are overworked and overcommitted. When vetting arbitrators for selection, always confirm that they will be able to dedicate sufficient time to larger and more complex cases. Type number two, the novice. Of course, an arbitrator will always have a first arbitral appointment. We all have to start somewhere, and being a new arbitrator isn't necessarily a negative. The novice may well be a highly experienced legal counsel who has long practiced arbitration as an advocate, but simply not as an arbitrator. Therefore, despite having few or indeed no awards under their belt, the novice can be a very good choice given their intimate experience of arbitration practice. Of course, the novice might be best suited as a co-arbitrator in larger or more complex cases or as a sole arbitrator in smaller and less complex cases. But beware the imposter. Some novice types may have more limited experience in arbitration practice. 
Perhaps they are a transactional lawyer who has dabbled in arbitration. Perhaps they dream of retiring from a nine-to-five job and arbitrating from a beach in the Bahamas, but don't have sufficient substance to back up their glossy LinkedIn profile. For this reason, it always pays to closely check the credentials of a novice arbitrator. If the person has limited experience, the novice may make a poor choice. Also bear in mind that strong case management skills are an important requirement for arbitrators, and those who have worn an arbitrator hat before will tend to have better skills. Type number three, the industry specialist. There is an increasing awareness that industry specialty is key to an arbitration outcome. This is true in the selection of legal counsel as well as the selection of an arbitrator. To give an example, the oil and gas industry is of course different to the general construction industry because building a natural gas plant is different to building a tower. So it makes sense that parties should look to appoint an arbitrator who knows their industry well and understands the types of disputes that arise and why. The industry specialist can be a lawyer specialising in the field or a non-lawyer such as an architect, engineer, chartered accountant or so forth. However, if the industry specialist is a non-lawyer, it will be important to balance out a three-person panel with someone who can grasp complex legal points, including matters of jurisdiction and procedure. As mentioned earlier, It is also not uncommon for parties to stipulate in their arbitration agreement a requirement for industry experience amongst the arbitration panel, so don't forget to check this. Type number four, the tried and tested. Provided there are no conflicts of interest, it is always tempting to appoint an arbitrator who is known to a party and its legal team, especially someone who's handed down a good or fair decision in prior cases. The tried and tested is someone who is a known quantity, a safe pair of hands, someone who is diligent, will not make a knee-jerk decision, and will give all parties a full and proper opportunity to be heard. Unfortunately, it will not always be possible for a party to appoint the tried and tested. They are likely to be in popular demand. Accordingly, a party will often have to appoint an arbitrator who is not known to them. Now, in such case, broader due diligence of candidates is the key. Indeed, the benefit of being at a large international law firm like Reed Smith is the incredible network of lawyers from 30 offices around the world who can offer guidance and insights when choosing an arbitrator. In my own practice, if the candidate has not been tried and tested by me, for example, there is a good chance it has been by one of my colleagues. This kind of market intelligence can be invaluable when choosing an arbitrator. Type number five, the female arbitrator. Now, you might think it's odd to single out females as a type of arbitrator. Perhaps it is a little, but I've done so for good reasons. Females are disproportionately underrepresented as arbitrators in international arbitration, and particularly so as chairpersons of arbitration panels. This is despite the fact that in places like the UK, female lawyers actually outnumber male lawyers. Now, of course, no woman should be appointed simply because she is a woman, but rather because she is the right person for the job. With a highly talented and growing pool of female arbitrators, parties also risk missing out if they do not consider or simply overlook female arbitrators. Consistent with this message, Reed Smith has signed up to The Pledge, 
an initiative to increase on an equal opportunity basis the number of women appointed as arbitrators. The aim of the pledge is to achieve a fair representation as soon as practically possible with the ultimate goal of full parity. So, if you were minded to consider a female arbitrator for your case, where would you search? As a first step, check out www.arbitrationpledge.com, which contains links to various search engines such as arbitralwomen.org. These search engines list female arbitrators who can be searched according to their place of qualification, their specialty areas, and their profession. So, those are the five types of arbitrators we have identified in our travels, though I'm sure you will have met other types and subtypes in your own. I hope you found this podcast helpful, and best of luck in your hunt for an arbitrator. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.